0: Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up that this episode of Close to Death mentions suicide and homicide. You might want to keep that in mind as you're listening, and think about who might be listening with you. Take care. When I was 28 years old, I lost someone very close to me to suicide. It was sudden and tragic, as these things are, and it wrecked and rocked his entire family and so many of us who were close to them. Uh, His family didn't really know what to do, and so I volunteered to go to his apartment and try to help clean his stuff up. And when I got there, it was bizarre. The entire experience was exhausting and strange and way too personal. I mean, this is someone that I've known since childhood, since almost birth. And I was going through letters that weren't meant for me to read. I was going through the things that he collected, clothes, just the food in the fridge. There was so much stuff. And it all felt so exposing and vulnerable. It was like being in the twilight zone. It was traumatizing and isolating And I'm also so glad that his family didn't have to do it. And to this day, I feel way closer to him for having done it. But I can't say that I was meant to see it. We all have a version of this, right? Seeing something we're not meant to see. But what if you did that on a regular basis, as your job? I'm Woodkar Shambwoodkar, and this is Close to Death. Today, Mary Beth Barone is going to tell us about cleaning up after death. Mary Beth is a stand up comedian, a writer, and a youngest child. She's performed on The Tonight Show, Comedy Central, and at clubs and festivals all over the country. Hey, Mary Beth, so what should we know about cleaning up after death?
1: Okay, so usually when someone dies, there's lots of stuff to clean up, and that's obviously hard, as you know they leave behind their personal belongings their clothes their their room their furniture their pictures but sometimes after someone dies it's literally a biohazardous crime scene there's blood there are parts of someone's skull picture something so gruesome and then think about turning that into a home again and you can't just throw that stuff in a garbage can you know cuz it's dangerous These are extreme situations, and who's going to clean that up? It it couldn't be you or I. It shouldn't be you or I.
0: No, you just described a horror movie, like a real-life horror movie. What you're talking about is on a level that I would never wish upon anyone.
1: Well, luckily, there are people who can help, people who do this kind of extreme cleanup as their job, and they're ready and waiting to take this insane workload off your hands. Not you personally, I hope you never have to call them. But we're gonna learn more about them right now.
2: So one day I was working my shift and there was a homicide and I was kind of just uh, waiting for the detectives to finish what they were doing. And the lady came up to me, I think she was the mother, and she said, when are you guys coming back to clean up?
1: This is Laura Spalding. Back in the early 2000s, she was a police officer in Kansas City, Missouri. We kind of looked at each other and there was this pause because I didn't know how to
2: answer her because I didn't I had never been asked that question before. So I said, "Oh no, we don't we don't clean up." And she said, "Well, who does?" And I said, "I have no idea." So I started asking a lot of questions to, you know, CSI people, to homicide people, and I got the same answer. We don't know. And some of them were like, you know, it's
1: their property. It's their responsibility. And I thought, wow, that's insane. Laura did some research and she couldn't find anyone who was offering services to clean up crime scenes. There was a gap in the market. And like any good entrepreneur, Laura saw that as an opportunity. And luckily, she's a lot less squeamish than the average person. When Laura decided she wanted to start a business, she didn't go to a coding academy and build an app or move to San Francisco and rent a co-working space. She didn't call up a friend's dad and ask for seed funding. Instead, she got her startup pitch ready. She wanted to start a company called Spalding Decon. It would clean up big, daunting messes. Messes that us normies couldn't and shouldn't handle on our own. And I'm not just saying that because I hate vacuuming. Crime scenes, Biohazards, meth labs, black mold, water damage, homes packed to the brim with stuff, so much that you can't even get to the toilet. For the average lender, this pitch was kind of a tough sell. Clearly, these guys had never had a decomposing body in their house before. I walked into the bank and they're like,
2: are you crazy? No. (laughs) And I was like, wait, why? You know. So I went to like four banks total. And they all looked at me like I was insane. So I had to get creative. So I decided to go to a fifth bank and tell them that I needed a home equity loan for new windows on my house. And they gave it to me. They gave me $15,000.
1: Laura moved to Florida, a smart choice for a startup in the world of death, a bad choice for anyone that wants a good quality of life.
2: You know, everybody moves to Florida to die. So I figured, hey, you know, there's a win-win situation there. So I've been here ever
1: since, since May of 2006. The same year Twitter was founded. But Spaulding Decon had a slightly different target audience. One that Laura thought would be best captured by going door-to-door and telling building owners about her new company. Yes, actually door-to-door to apartment buildings. Like a Girl Scout selling
2: cookies. I would just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in this area. I know you guys have, you know, two or three hundred tenants. Stuff happens. I can clean this up for you. What's the first crime scene you ever cleaned? The first one was a double murder on Christmas Day in a lady's kitchen. And it was a very large job to be doing by myself. Yeah, I was, you know, I had no employees. I couldn't pay anybody. So um, now it probably would have taken us about six hours to do. It took me like two and a half days by myself. So, you know, I was jacking up tile, taking off door frames. It was just, it was a hot mess. It was really, like, difficult. But, you know, after I finished it, it was extremely satisfying that I completed
1: it and that she didn't have to. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened on a job that you recall?
2: Um, Booby traps. Yeah, I've had booby traps on meth labs before. I opened a door one time as I was inspecting a meth lab in Mississippi, and a knife was tied to a rope. (sighs) and came swinging towards my head. Luckily, I'm short, and it went right over my head. I was like, whoa, or I would have got probably stabbed in the forehead.
1: (gasps) Crime scene cleaning falls into the very specific category of jobs where you might get stabbed in the head by a knife swinging on a rope. Also in that category, the wannabe kidnappers from home alone. Laura learned more and more about the strange things she should expect during jobs, and her business boomed. Honestly, she should be a Shark Tank judge. Laura went from a grim reaper door-to-door salesperson to the owner of a nationwide company in 15 states from Arizona to New Jersey. Spalding Decon even has franchises, like McDonald's or 7-Eleven, where I'm sure there's been a crime scene or two.
3: Telling someone what I do is, is always interesting to see their face.
1: Fiona Mills is one of Laura's star employees and potentially her most charming. She's worked for Spalding Decon for three years in the OG Florida office. Fiona cleans up scenes that are hard for most of us to stomach or even imagine. Scenes that show the worst of humanity. Scenes that remind us of the harsh reality that we will all die. And it's always like a pause. Like they just kind of just
3: look at you. I think it's like they're processing like did Fee really just say that? (laughs) Um, And then it's always immediately followed with how did you get into that?
1: How did you get into it?
3: Having done hospice, obviously, it's one end of the spectrum. And then I worked at a cancer center in the operating room, which is the complete opposite end of the spectrum to hospice. I wanted to see if I could do this end of the spectrum.
1: Do people ask a lot of questions about your work once you've revealed to them what you do? They do, they're they're very curious
3: um, with the odor.
1: Oh, interest! People are so morbid. That's yeah. that's what that's what you don't find out. I think till you do something like this that they really want to know, like the gory details.
3: Like, there's so many people where like they're like, "Oh, I could never do that," but they have like a hundred and one questions about it.
1: They're like, "I could never do that," but do you have pictures?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Fiona's work uniform is a Tyvek suit. That's a classic hazmat suit and a respirator mask that fully covers her nose and mouth so she doesn't breathe in anything dangerous or potentially harmful. She wears this uniform for cleaning up crime scenes and biohazards, bios, in Fiona's lingo, and for clearing out the homes of people with a hoarding disorder. Fiona works on a lot of jobs like that. Remember, she's in Florida. In some cases, the person has passed away and Spalding Decon is there to help the family clear out the house. In other cases, the person is there, watching Fiona and her team clean their house. This can mean tense negotiations about what to keep and what to throw away. No matter what the situation is, Fiona has to go through literally every inch of the home. You might imagine her throwing away five of the same toaster or tossing out hundreds of boxes full of old newspapers. But her job goes way beyond that. Fiona confronts overflowing toilets, moldy floorboards, cockroaches, and something even more upsetting.
3: People just let their food just just rot away. And, and it's, it's almost, like, incredible to see how food can just decompose in a fridge that is working. <laughs> but it gets this, like, brownish color to it. You'll get maggots inside the fridge. I'm so fascinated by them. It actually became a thing, Fridge Time with Fiona. It's like, you'll open it and there'll be stuff in there from... The oldest was, I opened a fridge in 2019, and it had milk from 1997. No. You know, there was like a a Thanksgiving turkey that was completely liquefied. (sighs) Food doesn't look like food anymore. You know, eggs, when they go bad, they explode. Oh. Like if you grab them, they actually like explode like a bomb. What do you eat for
1: lunch on a job like that? So
3: I I have like a full appetite. (laughs) Like (laughs) it it doesn't affect me at all. Um, But I like to stay with like colder food because it's very hot in Florida. So like uh, like a quinoa salad with like shrimp or like a cold sandwich, stuff along those lines I try to stick to.
1: If I were in someone's house, I would be incredibly nosy and curious I'd go through old yearbooks, underwear drawers, jewelry boxes, read old letters, everything. I would also get tired really quickly. I would make a terrible crime scene cleaner. Fiona cleans what she needs to, but she doesn't go on a gossipy fact-finding mission. However, she obviously takes note of certain trends.
3: You would be surprised the amount of sex toys (gasps) that people have. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a hoard, whether it's a bio, like for some reason. They're getting off regardless. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're making the most out of their life, so.
1: Well, that's actually comforting in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever found something on a job that made you think like, okay, this person is a weirdo?
3: We did one job and there was like this voodoo makeshift thing I don't, I don't know what it was supposed to be, but it had, like, the biggest screws, like, sticking out of it, but it was very clear that it was, like, a voodoo thing.
1: Were you scared to touch it? That would make <laughs> me—I would be more scared to touch that than, like, coagulated <laughs> blood. Like, welcome to Florida. I think the heat makes people mad. I think the heat does a lot of things to people. I can barely handle waiting on a subway platform when it's hot out. Fiona, on top of dealing with rotten milk— liquefied turkeys and sex toy collections also cleans up biohazards and crime scenes in the unforgiving florida heat
3: my very first car bio was a heat wave came through florida and the temperature was 112 with a feel like of 116 and i that day i think is the only day in my life i truly thought i was about to die
1: Oh, my God.
3: In a Tyvek and respirator in full gear. I mean,
1: yeah, thinking about the gear you're wearing, that's got to be pretty toasty.
3: Yeah, inside of a car that's covered in bio, outside in the heat. It was it was gruesome. It was horrible. I, like, I was like, you guys are about to have another bio because I'm about yeah. to die.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope one day you get to do some crime scene cleanup in, like, Minnesota or something. And then you'll be thankful for the Tyvek, I bet. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to it. When Fiona cleans a crime scene, the dead body isn't actually there anymore. It's been taken away by a coroner. She sees and cleans what the body left behind, like blood, flies, and maggots.
3: So like, when it comes to like crime scene cleaning, biohazard, the easiest way to explain it is, you know if you have a paper towel and you put like a shoppy on that paper towel, it kind of bleeds out? Mm-hmm. So that's how it is. With biohazard, um, you can see a spot of biohazard on a carpet that's like, say, four feet wide. When you hit the padding, it could be either a little less or a little more. But if you lift that padding up, you're looking at like, on a minimum, about a six feet spread off bio. So a lot of people looking at a bio scene, they only look at it for face value. But to me, like, when we look at it, we know it's so much bigger than what we see.
1: What is the one thing people don't understand about your job that you wish that they understood? I don't think they
3: understand, like, just how detail-oriented it is or, like, how much actually goes into a crime scene cleanup.
1: Cleaning up after death is careful, intricate work. Fiona goes couch cushion by couch cushion mattress layer by mattress layer, floorboard by floorboard to remove every trace of death, to transform a crime scene back into someone's home. You never want to have to call someone like Fiona. You never want to have black mold in your house or come home to a crime scene. You never want to find a dead body in your living room. So how does Fiona survive being faced with the reality that these things happen to people on a regular basis, so regularly that Spalding Decon boasts quote-unquote unlimited opportunity to potential franchisees on its website?
3: I have a really good support system.
1: Um, I
3: do talk out my days, which helps processing it. Like, we see things that honestly, like the human eye shouldn't really be seeing, you know, like, like we're not made for that. Um, so it does affect you, but you have to be able to talk about it so you can kind of work through it. So it doesn't affect you like on a deep level. Honestly, the part that like truly affects me is when it comes to a decomp, the fact that someone can be there that long without someone noticing
1: mm-hmm.
3: and and like, obviously you know families can be very dysfunctional so it's not even like oh family doesn't realize because who knows the dynamics but like like you know your neighbors you know like you know if you haven't seen your neighbor in a while even if you don't talk to him you know you still know him you still know they're there so the fact that even like your neighbors don't notice like that that was a hard one to to grasp to be honest with you
1: what do your friends and family think about the work that you do? They're
3: always like, Fee, like you would be the one, right, at a ball <laughs> office that would do this crap. Like <laughs> you know, you're, you're the only one that could push yourself to that point.
1: Why? Why do they think that?
3: So, I don't know, I'm always I'm always ready for like an adventure, right? Like to me, life is all about making memories and making a difference for people. I've always been that way. So even with this job, like, yes, it is an adventure. It's always something new. It's always changing. But at the same time, I'm also still able to help people. You know, so it's like the best of both.
1: Yeah. You know, that's probably the side of crime scene cleanup that people don't see on the TV shows and in the movies and on the true crime documentaries. It's like you are providing It's like you're working in hospitality, essentially. Exactly,
3: it's like uh, some people refer to us as the last responders. We're able to to fix the situation, clean the situation, and whether that's to make a house back a home again or to help you move through this chapter of your life, you know, and keep going. Whatever it is, each and every person that we do a job for, we help them.
1: Fiona sees herself as a compassionate guide through things we never want to face. She does the physical work of cleaning up after death so we can try to move forward emotionally. Funeral home directors help us plan rituals to honor someone's life and say goodbye to them. Fiona and the other people who work at Spaulding Decon handle a completely different part of our grief. A part that we don't want to think about, but that's literally in our homes. Do you ever worry about what someone might find in your house? Do you have anxieties about things like that?
3: To me, less is more. I don't like clutter at all. I grew up in a household that had a lot of clutter and I always told myself when I got my own place I would never be that way. I always think, right, like if I drop dead tomorrow, right? someone's going to have to clean my stuff. (laughs) I don't want it to be a crew of four or five people for three days going through my stuff, getting rid of it.
1: Wow, Fiona is way more considerate than I am. Cleaners would be going through my closet for a long time. And that's probably what makes her so good at this work. She's thoughtful. And she really cares about helping people through a difficult time of pain and grieving. Over 15 years doing this work, Laura Spaulding has witnessed some of the rawest forms of grief. And she's seen how this grief hits everyone differently.
2: So sometimes I find that we're there as a listening post. They just talk, 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 and it it makes them feel better, and that's fine. Uh, sometimes they want to watch the entire cleanup, which at you know 15 years ago I thought that was odd. But now I look at it as maybe that's therapeutic for them. Maybe that's closure for them. Uh, sometimes they don't want to even be on the same street until we are done and gone. They never want to see us. So I think understanding grief and people grieve differently and not judging how they grieve is crucial.
1: Do the families ever make special requests that are surprising?
2: Yes. We had one family early on in my career, a woman that called us. She was an adult, and her father had shot himself in bed. And she insisted on watching us do the cleanup. And uh, there was a portion of his skull that was on the bed, and she asked us to give it to her. And she showed up the next day at the job, and she had it around her neck. She was wearing it on
1: a... On a chain? A necklace, yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, unique. Uh, I hadn't seen that before. Laura wants people to understand that cleaning up is part of death. And in that way, it's also part of life. Most of us won't have to see a murdered or decomposed body in our home. But some of us will see the lifeless body of someone we love. And we'll have to go through what they left behind. Which is daunting and painful, even if it doesn't include a fridge full of expired milk. Well, you know, that woman...
2: 16, 17 years ago that asked me when we were coming back to clean, I cannot tell you how many times that still happens today. As human beings, we're not sitting here thinking about death every day, right? So when, when an accident happens or someone passes away, it's typically not premeditated, it's typically not planned. So it's, it's very urgent, it's very quick, and the person is, oh my God, what do I do? Do you ever wonder what happens when the police leave? Spalding, Spalding
1: Decon posts videos of their cleanup jobs on social media to show people what they do.
2: These
3: are our stories.
1: These are like reality TV meets Law & Order meets a YouTube how-to. Hey guys,
3: we're in Riverview, Florida, today doing a decomp.
1: This one is hosted by our very own Fiona. And
3: Griffin. Today is Griffin's first bio. So we'll see how she does. But, well, um, that one's so the bio is on, it's in the living area. Uh, Primarily on the
1: couch. And these videos are popular. Some have hundreds of thousands of views. I think because it's curiosity.
2: That's not something that we talk about in our culture. It's not something that we see. I was probably seven or eight years old when I saw my first dead body. It was a neighbor. Um, And I had never seen it. I remember being so curious. Like, he looked like he was sleeping. And if you look at the popular TV shows, right, it's all emergency room, police, law, that type of stuff that people are curious about. True crime is super hot right now because people are obsessed with the unknown.
1: We want the bodies. We want the gore. We pretend to cringe, but we derive entertainment from the morbid. That's why people watch Spalding Decon's videos and ask Fiona tons of questions about her job. But while we can easily find death and gore in one of the gazillions of true crime shows or police procedurals out there, death still feels far away from us when it's behind a screen. A lot of people watch these videos without actually thinking about their own deaths, without confronting death the way that Fiona and Laura do every single day.
2: So I think it's one of those things that it's almost like a medical doctor or a nurse. You just become almost comfortable with it. Not to say that it wouldn't bother you, like, if it's your own family, but you just become comfortable with it. Like, it, it, it's just another thing for me. Whereas most people would be shocked, you get used to something that you see perpetually.
1: Death is around all of us constantly. And maybe if we stop being so coy about our fascination with death, we'd learn about life from it. That life is short and is fleeting.
0: Okay, so if we're so obsessed with gore and death, why are we so afraid to talk about it? People get so awkward when death comes up in conversation.
1: Well, in short, people are cowards and they don't want to talk about feelings and emotions. But I think that that's the wrong approach, personally.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Fiona really touched on something very special. This is a woman who's seen, as she says, things that people aren't meant to see things that the human eye should never see. And the way that she copes with it is simple. She has a strong support system who she shares everything with. And I think that's the lesson that I took away. Here's this sweet, wonderful woman in a very, very dark industry experiencing all kinds of trauma. And yet she maintains a positive spirit because she simply just shares. She talks about it which is something that I think as far as death is concerned, we don't do very much.
1: We don't. I think we're expected to bounce back really quickly when someone close to us dies, and it doesn't have to be that way. And you don't have to not bring them up in conversation or try to make other people feel comfortable by, you know, avoiding the topic. I think if we just get more comfortable bringing it up, then other people will get more comfortable bringing it up and we can sort of I don't know, just start those conversations. And I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. I love a good episode of Law & Order SVU, but I'm also working to talk about death in my real life and, and talk about it in a real way.
0: If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is confidential and available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. This episode was produced by Camille Peterson and Mary Beth Barone. Jordan Bailey is our lead producer. Production support from Ali Graham. I'm your host, Utkar Shambhutkar. Sarah Nix is executive editor with editing support from Wilson Sayre. Greta Cohen is executive producer. Kesla Childers and Greg Lubin are executive producers for Powder Keg. Our USG audio team includes Josh Block, Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Lauren Rakow, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Mixing and sound design by Nocturnal Sound. Production assistance from Greta Weber and Maura Waltz. This is a USG Audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media and Powder Kick. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com. And if you think you can stomach more about a typical day for crime scene cleaners, check out Spalding Decon's YouTube channel called Crime Scene Cleaning or visit spaldingdecon.com.